0: No one had a better view of the events of April 14, 2013, than the actual runners participating in the 117th Boston Marathon. That's the reason Runners World contributing editor Hal Higdon chose to look at the events of that fateful day from the perspective of those running the race. His new book, 40943, Boston 2013 Through the Eyes of the Runners, focuses on 75 runners and their individual stories, collected uniquely through social media such as blogs posted online, stories offered on Facebook, and emails sent to Hal himself. 40943 may be the first book ever written about a major sporting event that was researched almost entirely through social media. I'm Maury Williamson, marketing and publicity manager at Human Kinetics, and on this special edition of Kinetic Connections, we feature a talk Hal recently gave about the book in which he reads select passages, details how the book came together, and the impact the bombings have had on the Boston Marathon. On Sunday
1: afternoon, April 14th, 2013, Many of those planning to participate in the 117th running of the Boston Athletic Association Marathon the following morning had retreated to their hotel rooms after a day of sightseeing with their families. Boston, the great city's name reverberates in the minds of marathoners possessing a meaning that stretches beyond its historic roots. But unfortunately, I wasn't in Boston. I was 935 miles away in Indiana. But Boston certainly was on my mind. I decided to offer a shout-out to my friends running the marathon. Yo, Facebook followers, I said. Any of you running Boston tomorrow, maybe hanging out in your room after spending too much time walking around the expo? Relax. You'll do well tomorrow. Let us hear from you. Neil Gottlieb began the first runner to respond. Tapping his iPhone while sitting on Boylston Street Uh, with his two thumbs, he wrote, That is exactly what I am doing, chilling for a bit before the carbathon continues. Heather Lee Callahan posted her comment only two minutes later. I'm ready for Boston, followed your Intermediate 2 plan. Quickly the responses popped onto my Facebook page, landing nearly one a minute. Facebook doodly identified most of the responses coming from Via Mobile. Chrissy Dufter boasted, I'm ready and relaxing at the Fairmont. Bring it. Whitney B. Wicks joined the discussion. Hey, Hal. Sitting in my hotel room doing the usual pre-race thing, questioning my last few long runs, wondering what little ache I feel in my foot, contemplating what to wear tomorrow, etc. The next morning, after having checked weather.com, I offered a final encouraging cheer. The weather right now in Hopkinton is 38 degrees, not much wind, dry, going up to 57 by the time all our friends have medals hung around their necks. What everybody anticipating Boston 2013 would call a no excuses day. At that moment, several hours before the bombs went off on Boylston Street, None of us watching online had any idea how hollow those words might soon seem. I was proud of the many runners I had trained to run the Boston Marathon. I had no idea that I had thrust them into the heart of the darkest darkness. I want to talk to you a little bit about Tracy and Michelle and Vivian and Amby, some of the people who were among the 23,000 runners in the Boston Marathon that day. Tracy McGuire was coming almost to the finish line and she looked up at the clock and saw that the numbers going off, 409, 40, 41, 42, 43, that's the title of my book, but it's also when the first bomb went off. So the, the bomb went off literally right in front of her, probably as close as the back wall here uh, where you just came through a little while ago. So she did what any sensible person would do, did a quick U-turn, started running in the opposite direction, fearful that the next bomb would go, and the next bomb did go off, and it was right in front of her for the second time. This time she decided the wisest thing to do would be to get the hell off the course. Excuse my language. and. So she jumped the fence, ran through a restaurant, screaming, get out, get out. I guess it was like the sky was falling because everybody sitting up at the bar sort of looked at her as though the lady was crazy. Soon they would find out, and eventually she connected with her husband who had been sitting in the grandstand even closer to the bombs than her but wasn't injured, so they were both worried about each other, but they connected soon. Four hours uh, plus before that, uh, Michelle... Uh, happened to go to the starting line and bumped into an old friend of hers, an old internet friend. They first had made contact, Vivian was the gal's name, she lived in Washington, Michelle from Cleveland, and they had known each other because they've been both following me on my bulletin boards, Facebook, Twitter, all the electronic stuff that I I do. So they decided to run together. Vivian was sort of under-trained, Michelle had been injured, and so for the first 12 miles they floated along uh, talking, and Vivian was really excited because Michelle had grown up in Boston the area and was able to point out all the landmarks. At 12 miles, her mother was there, and this was the area when Michelle was growing up. That At age two, she would stand beside her mother, and they would hand out fluids, water to the runners as they went by. So Michelle stopped and hugged her mother, wasted about a half a minute without realizing What that wasting of the time was going to do. So she kept running, and Vivian had kept going. So they had been separated now by maybe 30 seconds, but you know they never saw each other again. Michelle got to Fenway Park, 25 miles into the marathon, and there, standing where Michelle had suggested she stand, avoid the, the the craziness at the finish line, was her daughter Shannon. Then a student at Boston University so Michelle and gave Shannon a hug and to the point where Michelle said mom get going you know you're gonna lose all that time so Michelle kept running and she was just making the turn into Boylston Street when boom she saw the bomb go off and she never did make that final celebratory run down uh, the last quarter mile plus on Boylston Street and then later she would only realize that if she hadn't stopped for those two hugs she would have been right in the middle of where the explosion was because that's exactly where Vivian was. Vivian had the bomb go off literally that direction, you know, by 20, 30, 40 meters and the first thing she did sensibly was just just drop to the ground, get in a fetal position just in case she thought another bomb would go off. After the second one she just decided she needed to get off Boylston, ran through the chute. Got out of there. Vivian got a finished uh, time. Neither Tracy nor uh, Michelle did, but they'll all be running Boston in about another month. Another person out on the course that day was Ambie Burfoot, the editor at large now for Runner's World magazine. And Ambie had won Boston in 1968, which was 45 years before. Every five-year increment, uh, Boston invites its five-year champions back. So this was his 45th anniversary run. Uh, He wasn't running it anywhere near fast as the time when he won the race, he was running back with a couple of his friends, uh, one of them who he had known all the way when they were in college together at Wesleyan uh, University. So they were way, way back, probably 23, 24 miles into the race when the bombs went off so far away that they didn't hear anything. But soon, Ambi realized that the runners were slowing in front of him and then finally stopping and his first reaction was, who's ruining my party you know because he thought probably some college kids had gotten out on the course and were doing silly things and only later did he realize what had happened, the tragedy that happened uh, on the Boston Marathon course that day. So for the next two weeks literally Anderson Cooper was uh, broadcasting on CNN from uh, right near the finish line where the medical tent had been. The focus of the world was on the, the runner, the Boston Marathon I was a little bit insulted because CNN had a one of their talking heads two or three days after the run, who said that Boston was really sort of a soft target because it was not an iconic race. And I wanted to punch the TV set. Sorry, fella, but you know, one of you encountered an iconic race more than the Boston Marathon. This was the classic race, the classic race that we all love. Uh, that all of us, uh, fast or slow, would love to get that BQ, that Boston qualifying time to to join everybody uh, on the rush into uh, Boylston Street. We know the history, which really began 2,504 years ago, I guess it is, 490 B.C., the Battle of Marathon, and after the battle, which was won by the Greeks over the Persians, uh, the general uh, sent this legendary, I say legendary, messenger, warrior messenger, Pheidippides running off uh, to Athens with the words that the Greeks had triumphed. So he ran the roughly 20 to 25 miles in Athens. We don't really know what his course was. It was uncertified. <laughs> the finish line and uh, dropped dead after having said rejoice, we conquer. Well, in truth, there was no Phidippides. It's really sort of a legend like Aphrodite's and Ulysses and all the great uh, uh, gods that, that come down to us in, in history. But he inspired that legend and in 1896 or leading up to 1896 when Pierre de Coubertin was organizing the first modern Olympic Games uh, somebody suggested that they do a long distance run from Marathon which is right on the coast into Athens finishing in the Olympic Stadium and they did and it was run by won by Spirit and Lewis, a, uh, a peasant, a Greek peasant. It was the only gold medal that the Greeks actually won in the games. And the um, Boston Athletic Association, uh, which had been founded about a dozen years before, had sent a team to uh, the Olympic Games, uh, maybe half a dozen or so of their, their fastest runner and field event men. And so they brought back the word about this 25-mile race. And, of course, people had been running 25 miles competing at that level in the 19th century, but nobody called it a marathon yet. And so when the Boston Athletic Association founded a marathon uh, on Patriots Day, which is a holiday in in New England, a couple of the states, um, it became the Boston Marathon, and the word sort of became iconic, if you will have. And then we went through some great runners. Uh, John McDermott won that first race in uh, two hours and 55 minutes, so we can sneer at him, but basically he was running on uh, what was a little more than a dirt trail into in, into downtown Boston, the Back Bay area at that time. Uh, certainly Clarence DeMar who'd won Boston uh, seven, seven times. Uh, Catherine Switzer who is the second woman to run Boston, the first being uh, Bobby Gibbs, Bill Rogers, Alberto Salazar, Joni Benoit, all the great champions we've had including the the great Kenyan and Ethiopian runners today. So definitely I think of all the world marathons Boston because of its history because it really was the first in quotes marathon, deserves uh, the term iconic along with the other great marathons, the major marathon, Chicago, New York, London, Berlin, uh, Tokyo now. So then now we were to uh, 2013 and for most of the people um, that it was a joyous, uh, joyous day uh, up until the last minute. And, uh, of course, I, after the bombs went off, I had really no interest or plans in writing a book about the the, the, the tragedy that day. It sort of offended me a little bit. And I kept talking, ex- exchanging email messages with a good friend of mine who was out on the course at the time and insisting that he needs to write a book about the Boston Marathon before the Boston Globe or somebody assigns it to one of their junior reporters and we don't get the book that we need and he wasn't in it, maybe he was a little traumatized from from uh, not quite being able to finish and uh, what was happening in the two or three days immediately after the marathon is that all of a sudden these pops, people stopped popping onto my Facebook page posting links to their blogs, links to the reports of their runs in the marathon and some were moving and you know you, you couldn't read them without crying at the end because you know this marvelous wonderful day that all of a sudden uh... ended with people getting their uh, their legs blown off but still you know is that their, their their tales were motivational they were inspiring they were what we all love about the sport up until the final curtain and uh... And what happened was that the i felt these tales were so good that they really should not be lost some of them literally written for friends and family and maybe going to be seen by twenty five fifty hundred people who know who knows so I started to collect details and also inviting other runners. I would had probably a couple hundred people who trained for Boston using my Boston Bound program. I was able to email all of them and say tell me what happened and a lot of them did and a lot of them posted elsewhere Uh, Newspapers were writing reports, interviewing, and so before I knew, I had gathered something like 75 different uh, tales of what Boston was like that day, and I couldn't imagine anybody reading a book that had 75 chapters with joy to doom, Uh, and so what I really did was I integrated all the stories. Into a single narrative, so it was like one runner running the Boston Marathon, starting out at the Boston Common and going all the way to the Back Bay area, but really through with 75 pairs of eyes. So to me, I thought it was sort of one of the uh, one of my best books. I certainly well maybe the best book. I said that before, but I keep thinking I top myself, and uh, and so I started writing. You know, normally if you're a, a writer, a freelance writer like myself, a professional writer, um, you don't start a book this big or this important without going to a publisher, getting a contract, and getting an advance, etc., etc., and then you start to write. Well, knowing how the publishing industry worked, it might take two, three, four, five months before uh, some publishers said yes after all these marketing meetings. So I just started writing, and uh, within three or four months I finished the, the book. It's a relatively start, short book, maybe 40,000 words, but I think just the right length. Put it up on Kindle. I can't remember, somebody said that they um, read the book first on Kindle, and I had to apologize because I couldn't autograph it th- for them. But um, And then after that, uh, uh, we came out with about 500 copies of a, what I call now a preview edition and sold them at the Chicago Marathon with a lot of success, and because of that, Human Kinetics uh, came after me, and we signed a contract. And uh, here we now have uh, forty three and I'm I'm really excited because I think it, it 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 sort of contains the excitement that is the Boston Marathon. It does get those iconic qualities of uh, of what is the greatest race in America. Well, in many respects, the greatest. Uh, um, uh, race in the world, so that 's been a, a real pleasure to me and be able to communicate the the joy of Boston. I first ran Boston, I almost hate to admit it in thousand nine hundred and fifty nine and dropped out. I dropped out of my first three marathons because I kept trying to win them, which was a major mistake that I now tell all of you people is going to that first race is run it as slow as possible because what 's going to happen if you run a slow you 're going to finish the race with a smile on your face. And if you ever run a second marathon, you're bound to run a PR because you ran such a slow race the first, first time you did it. And uh, so this is sort of, a, in some respects, it's a, it's a top to my career. Uh, I'm sure I'll try to top myself otherwise, but i really sort of like to finish by reading a, another paragraph or two um, from the book, and then I'll be glad to answer your questions. And I talked a little bit about Dave McGilvery, who's the executive race director, and he's run 41 successive Boston marathons. And after he was appointed race director, after having done about 20 of those, he didn't want to lose the street. So after the finish of the marathon, maybe after three, three and a half hours, he climbs into a car and goes all the way out to Hopkinton and runs it back you know, at like 2, 3, four o'clock in the afternoon um, with his friends. And he was out in Hopkinton at the time when the bombs went off. And he said, after I finally got home, I hugged my wife and children, recalled McGilvery. The first thing Luke said to me, that's his son, was, are you okay, Dad, are you okay? Then he said something that made, to me, that really struck home. He said, I don't want you to direct that race anymore. Dave McGilvery would return to Hopkinson on Friday, April 26, to run his personal Boston Marathon and keep his streak alive at 41. When asked whether taking nearly two weeks to start and finish the marathon allowed him to maintain his fourth-place position among Boston streakers, McGilvery responded wryly, I guess as race director I'm allowed to make my own rules. Asked his time, he states, 11 days, 4 hours, 30 minutes. Without intending to do so, he had set a record for world's slowest marathon. <laughs> Was it possible that enough time had passed to allow us to joke even Riley about the events of April 15, 2013, the darkness that captured the 117th runner of the Boston Athletic Association Marathon. By the time Dave McGilvery finished his 41st Boston, the two brothers who had planted the bombs had been identified, one of them killed, one of them captured after a car chase and shootout, and police dragnet that shut down the town of Cambridge for a day. Unfortunately one more victim was added to the list of those killed by the bombers. An MIT security guard who was sitting in his squad car in the wrong place and at the wrong time. They were not targeted by the terrorists. They were random victims which makes the events of April 15th all the scarier. It could happen to any of us. The Washington Post would contact Ambie Burford for his thoughts on the tragedy. This was not just an attack against the Boston Marathon Burfoot told the Post. It was an attack against the American public and our democratic use of the streets. We use our public roadways for annual parades, protest marches, presidential inaugurations, and yes, marathons. We cannot cover our eyes and ears and pretend violent acts do not threaten our great institutions. Burfoot ended. Our institutions did not become great by following a path of timidity and cowardice. We can only hope that the Boston Marathon, though pummeled, will rise again stronger than before. Thank you very much.
0: That was best-selling author Hal Higdon, whose new book, 40943, Boston 2013 Through the Eyes of the Runners, can now be found in bookstores everywhere or by visiting us online at humankinetics.com. On our website, you can also read excerpts from the book and learn more about Hal. We appreciate your feedback about Kinetic Connections. If you have questions or comments, please email us at publicity at hkusa.com. That's publicity at hkusa.com. I'm Maury Williamson, Marketing and Publicity Manager at Human Kinetics. Our engineer was Roger Francisco. We appreciate you joining us for this edition of Kinetic Connections.